Hi, this is Kenneth Johnson, creator of Alien Nation, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. as fast as you. Your new partner gets drunk on sour milk. It's a good week. Welcome to America 1995. Alien Nation premieres Monday. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows of the horror, science fiction, and fantasy genres. I'm your host, Mr. Zedica. And I am Dr. Chris. And I am Dr. Chris. We're here to talk about Alien Nation, the pilot episode. Yes, and we're starting this right off the bat, recording this episode the 1st of November. However, this week, uh, the week of Halloween and the week, first week of uh, November, you'll be getting the the movie we recorded uh, a few weeks ago. So you get the movie. You, 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 if you're listening to this, hopefully you listen to our movie episode first, which we get into a bit of the... Uh, how the the pilot—it's like the movie in a way, <laughs> but its own thing. Yeah, the pilot is what I thought was the original alienation thing because I only recently, doing this podcast, saw the James Con version. So I thought this was the original, you know, ground floor episode. It is good enough to be so. Like honestly, this episode is heads and shoulders above you know, the alienation movie. And that was still, you know, rather good. Yes. And there are multiple listings of alienations on IMDb. There's the alienation movie, prepare yourself, which is the movie itself starring James Caan and Mandy Patinkin. There's the alienation body and soul pilot, which is its own standalone made for TV movie. There's the alienation television show, 21 episodes. And then there is the alienation Five made-for-TV movies that came, that that were filmed four years after the show ended uh, for Sci-Fi Channel. And we're going to be watching them all. Yes. And we'll be doing uh, the pilot by itself. We'll do two episodes at a time like we normally do. But those movies will definitely be done one at a time because they yeah. are two-hour movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like an hour and a half with commercials. Uh, you know, sorry, they're an hour and a half by themselves, about two hours with commercials. So, uh, And they were a miniseries event. But we'll get there, and make sure you um, enjoy the episode post us saying goodbye. We will have on the show with us the director, writer, and creator of Alienation, the television show. Kenneth Johnson joins us to talk about Alienation. So stay tuned to the end of the episode for that interview. Correct. And, because we already have it in the can, we can say it now. In a future episode, probably in a couple soon, Eric Pierpoint joins us as well, who plays Detective George Francisco. Yay! It is such a good interview as well. Correct. And we might have other people on from Alien Nation uh, 2 that could be joining us, which would be great. Um, We're working on that uh, right now. I just got to reach back out to Kenneth because he said that he might be able to hook us up with somebody. This isn't like us doing Reaper, where we couldn't actually find anyone willing to talk to us. This, we're actually able to talk to people. I'm so excited. Right. So we're we're going to go through the IMDb list really quickly because there's a lot to cover in this episode. I have five pages of notes. Uh, we're not going to get Eric too much um, backstory and who he is on IMDb because we have an actual entire interview with him. So don't even worry about that. Replacing James Franco, who do we have? I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that and edit that out. Replacing the late, great James Caan, who was alive at the time the television show was airing, who replaces him as Matthew Sykes? Gary Graham. Correct. Which I remember him mostly um, as Ambassador Soval from Star Trek Enterprise. And he was also in a made-for-TV movie. Um, He was in 12 episodes of that, by the way. Uh, he was also on uh, Jag, which I'm not a fan of, but I don't hate the show. I just never really got into it. There was um, a show that we have talked about a few times, which I think we will definitely cover one day, because I think it's definitely worth covering. Mantis, 
the black superhero show. He is yeah. basically think of Bruce Wayne, but black and in a wheelchair. Ah. Uh. And its creator is Sam Raimi. Oh, that's great. Yes. The a star yeah. of that show was uh Carl Lumley. We'll get to that if we ever do it. It's twenty two episodes, so it would definitely be easier for us to do. But I absolutely love Carl Lumley. Um, we've talked about him before as well. Our our lead human actor has been many things. Um, he's still working today. He was just in Jeepers Creepers Reborn, which uh, is the first of the Jeepers Creepers movies not to be connected to its um, disgusting uh, convicted pedophile rapist uh, director, Victor Salva. Yeah. Michelle Scarabelli plays Susan Francisco, the wife of George in this movie. Uh, sorry, in the in the movie show and TV series, also on Star Trek. She was also on Airwolf, uh, still doing stuff today. She was recently on Superman and Lois. I didn't realize this, and this is another great reason to have her on the show, because I might make uh, my friend Michael Bailey jealous. Uh, she was Martha Kent on uh, Superman and Lois. I, I mean, like, she was beautiful in Alienation Show, and she is still beautiful to this day. Yes. Uh, she's doing a lot of more of the Christmas movies at the moment. She's yeah, she, she's movies. gotten to that. <laughs> hey, it's steady work. <laughs> uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Woodland. Uh, we're going to try to rapid fire through these. There's a big cast in, the, in this show. so And then a lot of them appear in the pilot episode. She's been on The Young and the Restless for 387 episodes. That's pretty much all we need to say about her career. <laughs> um, yeah, she... She plays Emily, uh, the daughter. The daughter. Um, uh, Kathy Frankel, uh, which is uh, uh, Matthew Sykes' uh, next-door neighbor and future love interest, plays Terry Trace, um, the alien that uh, he uh, is is kind of like our romantic interest show. We have the married couple, whatever, but we needed a romantic interest on the show. She kind of disappeared from acting for the longest time, from Alien Nason, the Adara Legacy, all the way to Black Widows, which has nothing to do with the Avengers, even though it did come out in 2016. So very funny, it came out the year that the Civil War movie came out, and then we had a Black Widow movie that came out last year, which ties into Civil War. Just not to make it confusing for anybody. <laughs> Just pointing that out. <laughs> there's a movie called Black Widows, and there's a movie called Black Widow, which is about multiple Black Widows. Am I wrong, Mr. Seneca? I haven't seen Black Widows, so I can't actually make that comparison. But, but Black I... Widow, the Avenger movie, did you see that? I did see that. Okay, and how many Black IMD? Widows? How many Black Widows are in the Black Widow Avenger movie? A lot of them, really. A lot of them. But it's not called Black Widows. It's called Black Widow, period. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just pointing out the weird connection. <laughs> um, we have Sean Six. Okay, that's a name. <laughs> As Buck yeah. Francisco, the rebel, you know. Rebel teenager. Son. Yes. And this this role is pretty much the only role that he's majorly done in the entertainment world. Correct. Um, we have uh, Jeffrey Marcus, who plays the, uh, I guess you could call him mentally challenged um, alien. Um, Albert the, Einstein. Yes. Yes. Albert Einstein. Yeah. Um, he has been in stuff. He was in Frozen, sure. He was in Freaky Friday, sure. He's still acting today. I don't know what he played in those movies. He's a Sergeant very supporting Do role type of actor. Yeah. Sergeant Dobbs as Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. Uh, Ron Fassler plays Captain Byron Gazer. Uh, Jeff Docchetti plays Burns. L. Scott Cadwell plays Lydia, who is, by the way, I believe that is supposed to be Tugs' wife, uh, Widow. Yes, she's former on partner. the phone. Yeah, mm -hmm. former partner of uh, Detective Matthew Sykes. The purest leader is William Frank, uh, father. We also have Tim Russ uh, playing uh, Ro Ro uh, Ronald Ketness. Tim Russ is best known as playing the first Black Vulcan in Star Trek. He was Lieutenant tu uh, Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager. Oh. Ah, he did look familiar. Yep. Um, he was a lieutenant, regular human Black lieutenant on Star Trek Generations, the movie, where Kirk and Picard meet, but not a Vulcan. Um, so he got, uh, a year later, got a gig on Voyager for, you know, got a good paycheck for about eight years. And uh, Officer Maria Fuente is played by Loida Ramos. 
uh, who is also in Three Amigos. As yes, Conchita. She's, she's one of the village uh, women. Yeah. yeah. She was also in NYPD Blue, Chicago Hope, uh, Speed, but, you know, supporting roles in each of those. Good actress, but she hasn't actually done anything recently. And, of course, as we said, Kenneth Johnson directed the episode, and um, he also was the writer of it, too. Big, a um, lot, lot, lot of cast, a lot of cast. <laughs> lot to go over. We'll probably re-go over some of these cast members and one that we kind of ran through. Um, but the primary cast members of the show going forward are Gary, Eric, Michelle, Lauren, Sean, Terry, Molly, uh, Jeffrey, and uh, Lawrence uh, are pretty much the uh, primary uh, people that show up on most of the show. Awesome. So let me give you the episode synopsis. Yes. Alien Nation pilot episode originally aired September 18, 1989. A bigoted human policeman in the L.A. of the future and his alien partner learn to live with each other's differences while attempting to solve a drug conspiracy hidden in the subculture of Los Angeles' newest immigrant population, extraterrestrials. So right off the bat, this entire pilot has a slightly different story than the one we had in the movie but a lot of the beats are still there. However, the one thing they write really well is I think the humor is heavily more in this show than it was in the movie at all. The movie has spotty humor and the show has it throughout. And it's mostly obviously at the expense of the aliens, which is fine. Um, They're not real. They're, they're from outer space. (laughs) I, I really don't care, but it helps the, synergy and the absolute amazing chemistry that Gary and Eric get to share together on screen. That's really one of the main points about this episode in particular is that you see that friendship grow. You know, you, as I said in the description, this is a bigoted human policeman. And he says that he's bigoted in the, um, in the uh, first movie, you know, he says clear out that he's a bigot. And then in this episode, even though he does portray those bigoted qualities, he does defend Emily when, you know, she has that moment where she's the first newcomer to go to a human school in this very upscale neighborhood. Detective Sykes goes to her rescue and, and, you know, has this wonderful scene. This is in the first 15 minutes of the episode. It's brilliant. Yes, and defending her. um, I'm going to pause the podcast real quick, and we're going to play that entire clip of the bigotry, the hatred, and the racism, and then what Matthew Sykes does right afterwards to stop it all. It's about two to three minutes long, but I want everyone to to pay really close attention to everything that's said. Here we go. Just because she's an American citizen, that doesn't make her a human being, does it? 
So what if she's a little brighter than some of our kids? We can beat that out of her. Discourage her enough, she'll give up. So what if she might have come up with a cure for cancer someday? She's not civilized like us. So why don't we just put a gun to her head and end it all right here, huh? Come on. Come on, pull the trigger. Come on, take it! Come on! How about you, Ms. Pierce? I know you want to come pull the trigger. Get out over here! Come on down! What, I have to do it myself? Okay. No, we don't want her dead. We just want her back where she belongs. She belongs here. Well, we're back. Just before that scene, by the way, and we'll, we'll touch upon the other scene later on with Tugs. How many scenes did you notice were directly from the film? Oh, several. Yeah, the entire opening. Yeah, the, the bums in the street drinking sour milk, you know, that's almost the, per, the verbatim. Giving the dance classes. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, 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 the death of Tugs. Yeah. Yeah. And th- those were clips from the movie. Right. The aliens' makeup on the show is different than it is in the movie, but I think it's better in some ways, and then sometimes I think it's worse. But that might also be because they're trying to hide actors' hair, especially the women, who probably didn't want to shave their heads. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you have coneheads fucking galore happening in certain angles when they turn their heads. All I'm getting is flashes of Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> well, the the actors actually called those prosthetics potato heads. Who Mr. Seneca happened to meet one time. <laughs> Tell us about Dan Aykroyd in another podcast someday in the future. I'm always happy to talk about Dan Aykroyd. But um, <laughs> We're talking about Alien Nation, though, today. Correct. George thanks Sykes for what he did for his daughter. And this was after he just visited his former partner, his late partner's grave, complaining that he has to work with one of these guys now. And then he sees what happens, and George, you know, wants Matt to come over for dinner. After we get a bit of the same kind of exchange we saw in the movie, we get in the pilot with the coroners, and the coroner complaining, by the way, the coroner is an Asian, complaining about having to work with somebody that's different from him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the coroner alien um, speaks with uh, George in their fluent alien language, um, much to the dismay of Sykes. Yeah, and and that information that is being portrayed across the table there is that this body could be infectious to humans. Correct. Um, the mentally challenged alien was duped into letting the body get um, leave the morgue. Albert Einstein, which, again, I think is supposed to be a joke of the fact that he is supposed to be mentally retarded and he's being called Albert Einstein. It's an insult. It is an insult. And, you know, it's mentioned in the first movie that uh, the people that were giving them names were not the kindest in the name giving. And then they would run out of ideas and just name them, you know, Joe Schmo. and, And it's humorous to those people that were giving them the names. But really... It's a, it's an insult, just like the the aliens are called slags. It's a slur, and yeah, Albert Einstein and and the character really enjoys that he is named after a brilliant scientist, and so you know he considers it a benefit, but everyone else sees it and is like, yeah, that's that's a cruel name to give you. I just want to point out an insult given to one of these aliens besides, um, what, slag? Is it slug? Slag. 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 Is also spongehead. I want to call the kettle black, the pot calling the kettle black, to the little shit in the wheelchair. What should we call you? Wheels? (laughs) I mean, do you remember when... Uh, uh, Wolverine and X-Men is being introduced to the rest of the X-Men, and he's like, what do we call you, Wheels? And he, he asks Xavier that question. <laughs> well, back at this time period, there a lot of shows were introducing disabled characters as either background characters or even one of the uh, main characters to show that there is diversity. Right. Um, uh, Mantis would come out in about two or three, two or three years. About oh, yeah. 
rich black yeah. man who who moonlights as a superhero. <laughs> um, 1996 sequel to the real Ghostbusters cartoon would have the extreme Ghostbusters have a kid in a wheelchair. A character. Yep. And by the way, there's never an origin story, as far as I remember, with that character. They ever revealed why is he in a wheelchair, nor do they ever make a point about him being in a wheelchair. Does he need help no, sometimes? And, sure. And, Does he have to be carried sometimes in a mission? Sure. But that's it. They didn't make it like a big, oh, let's make a social media out, you know, like a a, a gender reveal party with fireworks about some stupid shit that just shows up in fiction. I mean, I, I don't need it. Well, like, that's the point. And that was the entire point of it, is that being disabled, having some sort of challenge to your mobility um, or your mental capacity doesn't stop you. And that right. was the, the entire energy of this time period, 1989 to 1993, I believe it was, where a lot of shows were were putting the disabled and, and uh, physically challenged into their shows, and it wasn't a big deal, because it's not supposed to be a big deal. Correct. Well, um, what happens next when they go to the warehouse? When they go to the warehouse, um, uh, <laughs> Detective Sykes kind of tricks uh, George into opening the warehouse because uh, he he said that he had it, had a warrant, but he said that in kind of a sarcastic tone, and George didn't get it. But they go in, and there is a distinct smell inside the warehouse that is similar to the smell uh, inside their ships. And so the warehouse is empty, but that smell remains, and that is a clue to the rest of the plot line and what in the in the movie was drugs in this show it's gas right real quick we got an email asking a question i just had to read this right away because it did just pop up on imdb as we were recording this this email comes from um mr seal team uh 89 asking are you going to cover the blockbuster video show on netflix because that's about a business that was canceled ha ha <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Blockbuster Video starts on Netflix uh, this Thursday, by the way. <laughs> Probably about the time I'm going to be posting the movie episode. Uh, it is very I mean, I'd like to, Netflix is... I, I'd like to see it show. before we review it. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it'd be very it'd be very funny because it's, it's Netflix doing a Blockbuster show when Blockbuster had a chance to buy out Netflix, but they said, they said that Netflix thing would never work. What fools they were. Yeah. Sykes buys groceries, and he likes Captain Crunch. Just want to point that out. He has a train set, too, and he scans his apartment for bugs. By the way, he was checking out a certain lady until they got to her head and realized she was an alien. Yeah, Kathy, the new neighbor that moved in next door to him. Mm, yummy, 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 yummy. Very, very yummy. Yes, she is quite hot. You she know, is and... extremely hot. I think she's our. Uh, I don't think she's replacing the hooker from the movie, but um, in terms of just like a sex symbol that Sykes would have an attraction to, and consider possibly, yes. Yeah, yeah. Kathy definitely fulfills that role of a potential sexual interest. Correct. Sykes goes to dinner. I want to point out that in the entire show, George dresses very um, professionally. Sykes dresses like he's always undercover. <laughs> it, it's that um, odd couple energy. Correct. Uh, the son shows up to dinner and he says we're still slaves um, to his dad. Him and his dad do not have a great relationship throughout the show. And obviously it will come to a head and character development and all that sort of stuff. And we will get there eventually. Uh, we find out the aliens have acute senses, and um, we kind of learned that in the movie as well. A lot of these elements do carry over from the film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Buck, for for example, like he, he is so upset that they moved to this predominantly human neighborhood. They are the only newcomer family in the entire neighborhood, and he feels out of place and thinks that they should have stayed in Slagtown. Uh, Slagtown just sounds wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. It's like saying, but, uh, and they, we find out they even use the words in this, and we will use them as, obviously, as referenced in the show. They use the words spick and nigger and things like that to uh, show that slag means the same thing as such as those uh, hateful words. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. We have to ask the question, is Sykes a racist or is he just set in his ways and having to adapt to a new situation? I think he definitely begins this series as a racist. He doesn't like the overt racism. So being slightly racist and, you know, avoiding things from the other race, uh, you know, no, I won't go to dinner because, you know, that's weird. Uh, I, I think he he does have that. But when it comes down to the newcomers losing opportunities to live in certain places, to go certain places, to work at certain places, like he doesn't believe in the unfairness that racism brings upon them. He is still racist. He has that inner feeling and that inner turmoil, but because he knows George and is coming to have him as a friend over time, he that that idea softens within him. But it doesn't quite leave entirely until like we get further into the series, if my memory is correct. Correct. Matt likes the Cowboys, by the way. Oh, he, yeah, he's a Cowboy fan. He, there's this little side plot line about the George being able to pick racehorses and to bet successfully on games, even though he doesn't. And Detective Sykes wants to take advantage of that, but he doesn't. He lo- he loses his shirt on both bets. Um, it's also funny how the uh, aliens pray before dinner. I thought that was very sweet. You know, it's basically like showing Grace at dinner in any other television show. But they they touch their heads, they touch their hearts, then they cross their hands to show that the masculine and feminine are are exchangeable. And then they welcome their idealized uh, iconography into their hearts. So they're, I don't think they actually worship them as gods, the, the inspiration people i didn't write down their names but uh, um but they bring them into their hearts to lead by example and i thought that was very sweet skin that we keep finding throughout the episode uh is pretty gross um we think it's basically a conspiracy against the aliens to make us humans believe that the aliens can transform into these horrible, hideous-looking, bug-like creatures. Yeah, it's pretty and ridiculous. This is similar to um, in the movie. If word got out that this drug could turn the aliens into like superhuman Hulk creatures, it could be the end of everything for the aliens being um, citizens, which is which is what they're trying to do right now. By the way, they're trying to be, get citizenship. And voting rights. And voting rights, which, by the way, I really hope that at some point during the show, we come across episodes with uh, illegal aliens from Mexico or, you know, uh, refugees from a third world country coming over here, trying to get these rights as well. And the aliens are getting them before them just because of their advanced technology and, um, you know, whatever the, what, whatever reason, we're just giving them everything, you know, that we wouldn't give somebody that, you know, border, you know, runs the border. I do hope that's an episode that comes up at some point. Yeah, I like what George said in uh, in this episode is that uh, they came here as slaves and we have given them the ability to manage their own time, to live their own life, you know, to live as they want and yet we struggle as humanity to struggle to accept that we've given them these things and it's it's both the striving for an ideal of the american way and then still having this hold resentment against them even though we gave it to them you know it's he says it more eloquently than i did and i did not write write down the quote but that is a perfect representation like our ideals are no racism no discrimination everyone is is equal under the law and everything but to get there is the most difficult struggle because we fight against these at every single turn institutional racism is a thing and it still per is purveyant today and this was made in 1989 and it has only slightly gotten better yeah so these are um, topics that are still relevant to this day 
Kathy gets attacked and gets called slag bitch. And that's when Sykes shows up and rescues her. Basically kind of, kind of kickstarting their eventual romance. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy. If you couldn't figure out from the very beginning that they were setting up Sykes and Kathy to be, get together, then I, I think you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so blatantly obvious when I remember watching this show, like those two are going to get together. And sure enough, they do. <laughs> of course, of course, you know, she's changing her clothes and he's not supposed to be looking, but he peeks and sees the, the erotic look to her back with the, the spots going down her spine. And he's very curious in that way. And it's like, yeah, it's obvious that there is attraction. There is um, Emily's friend gives Emily a wig to help her, but it's all part of the prank involving this, you know, kid in the wheelchair bully, a uh, little piece of shit, basically. In the end, I mean, she didn't really want to do it, but the bully plotline does not get resolved in this episode. Um, but Emily does make a friend at school. Uh, basically, what's happening in the lives of the children is parallel to what George is kind of going through with his uh, son, you know, trying to get accepted into this all alien gang and ostracizing humans while his wife is, you know, like a black family in a very white neighborhood trying to find their community. And, you know, like her getting singled out as like a a maid just because she's an alien when she's actually the neighbor of one of those, uh, you know, rich white yuppies. Um, and George is trying to find, you know, fit his way into the police station as well, all the while dealing with this, you know, out of control xenophobia over the question of whether or not the aliens could transform into these giant bug creatures, which I haven't watched the pilot in a while, and we see the giant bug creature, I was like, holy shit, they can transform, but (laughs) it's like Scooby-Doo, it's a guy in a costume. (laughs) Yeah. And you not know, only all is it a guy in a costume, it's the lead racist in a costume. Yeah. The Puritans. Yeah. All of that hate and aggression towards the Francisco family culminates in their window being smashed and a burning circle, a hoop, in their yard, just like the old crosses and KKK, like exact same to try to terrorize them into leaving the neighborhood. And it almost works. You know, Susan was very afraid for Emily going to school. And she wanted to pull Emily from school and move back to the Slagtown area because it wasn't going to be worth it. An old black lady in the bathroom sets her straight, saying that she remembers the time when there were separate water fountains for drinking and remembers when there were separate bathrooms and says that, you know, the struggle is worth it. It does get better eventually. And Susan's mind has changed, and she leaves Emily in the school, and Emily makes that friend. Right. And so it turns up to be a, a bit of a happy, happy moment. You know, I wouldn't say happy ending yet, but a happy well, moment. Well, yeah, unfortunately, it's not 100% happy, as Sykes and, and Francisco, after discovering the Puritan, are, is behind the uh, the fake metamorphosis that the aliens don't actually go through um we find out that the puritans are connected to the police officer that was standing up for sykes and congratulate sorry standing up for george and, and congratulating sykes for doing that the hispanic police officer yeah maria puente officer maria puente she was in fact the one who killed uh detective sykes partner in that shootout right yeah, because uh, he was getting he was getting way too close to the actual nefarious activity behind it. You know, the the whole reason that the warehouse smelled of this gas, and the whole reason that the partner was getting close to all of these topics revo- revolving around slavery and submissive qualities, it's that the gas causes the newcomers to become completely submissive. Right. And think about how that gas would if it was wildly distributed, that the gas would then change how they function in the society. Right. And it would it would then make them slaves again. And it was not something that uh, Detective Francisco wanted to have. And just, just as in the first, ep- first movie, he got upset over the drugs being used. 
in this episode, he does get upset that the gas could be a possibility. Right. And him and uh, George visit Tug's grave. Also, Emily, uh, sorry, um, uh, George's wife, um, something's going on with her for a future episode. Susan's got something on her arm. Um, but uh, then uh, Sykes and Francisco visit Tug's grave as they put to rest his murder. And it ends with it ends with them on the grave. There's other plot lines that are left to be left to be resolved, but that's what they have 21 episodes of a TV show to take care of. Like the fact that um, Buck is in a gang and uh, you know, Emily's got to deal with the wheelchair bully. So I don't know if wheelchair bully returns, but we'll find out in the next episode. We're almost at time too, with our recording. So uh, Mr. Zeneca, where can people find us? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Facebook and Twitter. You'd find us under the dead TV podcast under our, Individual Twitters, I'm at Elegantly Kinky, and you're at Chris DSAV. Tonight on the Dead TV Podcast, accompanying our episode coverage of Alien Nation, we have a distinguished guest on the show with us, Kenneth Johnson, who has a huge role in Alien Nation, as well as several other television shows like The Incredible Hulk and V and so many more. Thank you for coming on the show with us, Kenneth Johnson. It's fine, but please call me Kenny. Uh, my father was Kenneth, and uh, from the time I was a little boy, I was Kenny. Kenny. And, uh, or to my southern relatives, Kenny, K-I-N-N-Y. That's how they say it down there in Arkansas where I was born. Kenny, come on over here and give us a little sugar, honey. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you ever get this from fans or from, like, Hollywood in general that you are – you know, so responsible for some of the most prolific television ever created. What can I say? No, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I am very fortunate to have, uh, have gotten uh, thousands of uh, letters, emails, notes from people that have said things like that, uh, particularly from um, uh, folks that are, you know, middle-aged or later now uh, who say, you know, wow, I, you know, I saw some of your stuff when I was, eight, 10, 12 years old. Uh, and now I'm looking at it again as I'm 30, 40, 50. And I, I'm going, wow, uh, that was, I, I was a lot of stuff going on in those shows that I didn't really realize was going on <laughs> when I was younger. Um, so yes, that does happen. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. I think one of the, it's funny when I first did the, uh, my first director commentary for my miniseries uh, DVD of V. Um, I put an email address where they could uh, write if they had comments or questions. It was one of those beware what you wish for moments because literally over the years, thousands and thousands have come in. I try to answer uh, as many of them as I possibly can, which is quite a few. Uh, and so many of them have, uh, have said things like that. And the, the great thing about the emails um, and the fans accessibility is that it, what I miss most when I'm doing television stuff is the audience. I mean, I, I was trained in the theater uh, at what is now Carnegie Mellon University in the drama department, which was a theater school. And I got interested because I was interested in theater, because I was interested in sitting in a room with people and having them react to what I was putting on the stage. Um, and, uh, and one of the th great frustrations about television and film is that you don't often have that direct contact to get the audience's reaction, certainly not in the moment when it's happening. Uh, and the second best thing is to be able to be in touch with them as I have been by so many emails and, uh, and letters over the years, which gives me that kind of direct contact and I can talk back and forth with them. And, uh, um, and it's, 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 it's extraordinarily rewarding. And, and I have to also just say quickly that whatever uh, success I have had in this business has been uh, the result of being wise enough to hire and surround myself with the most talented people I can possibly find who make me look a lot better than I have a right to look uh, all, by, all by myself, you know. So, yes, I do get those wonderful comments, and I love hearing about what people have to say and how Dr. David Banner inspired them to become a doctor. I can't tell you how many people I've have written to me about that. How many people have written to me about wishing they had driven down a street and seen him walking along the side of the road, hitching for a ride and wanted to pick him up, you know, and 
Um, and uh, the bionic woman, <clears throat> the interesting thing has come up in recent years about what a, um, uh, a role model she was for the LGBTQ community, because here she was presenting one exterior, but underneath she was something else entirely. And uh, it was intriguing to, uh, to begin to see the depth of, of, of that fighting back against intolerance and discrimination and prejudice, which leads us to how I got involved with Alien Nation. Yeah, Alien Nation really covers all those topics. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Zedek has a question as well, but I wanted you to get into something you were telling us just before we started hitting record about exactly. Alien Nation and James Cameron. Oh, yeah. Um, we were, uh, I had done the pilot, uh, written and directed the pilot. Now, now real quick, and, uh, you're not involved in the movie, right? Just the right. television show. No, I was not involved in the movie. I, uh, I was, um, uh, I was just finishing up another project. And I got a call from an old friend named Harris Cattleman, uh, who was, uh, at that time, the head of Fox television, um, not the Fox network or Fox news or anything like that. That's a whole different story that I have a whole different connection to. Uh, unfortunately, um, and um, uh, Harris called and said, hey, Kenny, we've got this movie out in the theaters. It's not doing particularly well. Uh, didn't get particularly good reviews, and but we think there might be a TV series in it. Would you come over and, and take a look at it and see what you think? Uh, and I said, well, what's the title of the movie? And he said, Alien Nation. And I went, oh, God. <laughs> uh, as, as I, I was trained in the classic theater at, the, at what is now Carnegie Mellon University in the drama department, theater school, no film, no television, strictly theater. And I had this, this sort of classic training. But when <laughs> what happens in Hollywood, particularly, is when you have a, a success like the bionic woman suddenly was, and then you do the Incredible Hulk. Uh, what happens in Hollywood is that the pigeonhole that they view you through gets narrower and narrower, you know, and it was like, oh, yeah, I'd not by then I had done V also. And uh, and I said, oh, Harris, thank you very much for calling me, but I don't want to do anything about aliens. I've, I've done I feel like I've done that. And he said, well, just please come and look at the, at the movie. Uh, and, and I said, OK, OK. So I went over to, to the Fox lot and I sat in this big screening room all by myself watching the movie. And, and I, I, I sort of described the experience as, I felt it was a little bit like Miami Vice with cone heads. You know, that it was, <laughs> they had this, and, and, I, uh, and, and it, just, it just didn't all come together. It seemed like there was an interesting premise there, but I, I couldn't quite get my head around it. And, and then, and I'd been in the movie for about, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and I was just about to sort of give up on it. When this one scene came on, one shot came on the screen, and it was this little alien woman with her two alien kids standing on the porch waving to Mandy Patinkin, uh, who was the alien cop, and he was saying goodbye to his family. And the bell went off when I heard that, saw that, and I thought, wait a minute, I see what this is about now. And I, I wanted to know who were they? What was it like to be them? And uh, so I went to uh, executives, uh, to Harris and to Stuart, Stuart Sheslow, who was his vice president. And I said, OK, you guys think you've got lethal weapon with aliens. And they said, yeah, yeah. And I said, no, what you've got here is the opportunity to let me do in the heat of the night. Because what we want to what I want to know is what's it like to be the world's newest minority? What's it like to be? Vietnamese in Galveston, Texas in 2000, in, in 1970, you know, uh, what's it like to be black in, in Chicago today for that matter? Um, and, uh, and I said, let me, let me do a show that's about intolerance and prejudice and discrimination. And that's something that we can really go to town with that will have all of the humor and the buddy cop stuff but it will also have substance and depth beyond just this surfacey stuff. And, um, and it was, the response was sensational among the critics when it finally went on. And it, we never got a bad review on any of the series of the later TV movies because they really sort of embraced what I was trying to do. Uh, I had been raised in a very bigoted, anti-Semitic household. 
Uh, I was an only child, and every night at the dinner table, I would hear every racial slur and epithet you can imagine. And for some reason, it just didn't stick. And I, because I had friends who were black or Jewish or something other than white and Protestant, and uh, and I, I, I realized that it just was wrong. And uh, so it's something that has sort of underpinned a lot of the work that I've done. And alienation is the prime example of of that, uh, where we can chip away at that kind of intolerance. So. Uh, I did the pilot and um, and I had a screening for the the writing team that I had uh, wanted to bring in to see if they could work with me to make a series out of this. And I was on the lot uh, walking toward the screening room and I saw walking toward me, this is on the Fox lot, uh, Conrad Buff, who had been my uh, film editor on Short Circuit 2. It was a matter of fact, it was Conrad's first theatrical film editing credit. Uh, he had worked in a lot of special visual effects and such before, but Short Circuit 2 was Conrad's first feature. And uh, he said, hi, we were talking. And I, I said, what are you Short doing? Short Circuit 2, by the way. Oh, thanks. Well, there's a Blu-ray coming out uh, the, this fall. We'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, um, and uh, uh, I said, what are you doing on the lot? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just finishing cutting Abyss uh, with Jim Cameron. Hey, as a matter of fact, I'm about to, oh, here he comes. You want to say hello? And I said, sure. And uh, so I greeted him with uh, the appropriate uh, aplomb and praise for his body of work. <laughs> oh my God. And he asked what I was doing. And when I told him, he got this quirky little smile and he said, I wrote a draft of that. And I said, I did not know that. Wow. And it made sense. It, it made sense because Gail Ann Hurd was the producer who was also his wife, as you know, uh, at the time, not any longer. But he, she asked him to write a draft, and he did. And I said, what happened? Your name is not in the credits. And he said, no. He said, when I saw the way that they were going with it, I said, I don't want to have my name on this. And then he asked me, how did you go with it? And I said, and I explained to him exactly what I've just explained to you. And he said, perfect. He said, that's what I wanted to do. And I said, okay, good. I'm on the right track then. And um, and it was a uh, it was a it was a, a nice bit of praise and uh, something that sort of uh, pumped me up for uh, for moving moving forward. Do you think that your take on the addressing the themes of racism and, and intolerance would have been vastly different from the way James Cameron would have dealt with those topics? I have I have no idea and uh, nor uh, nor how. Um, uh, or nor what way, what way, I never read it. I never, and we never had any further conversation about it, but, uh, but mine was exact, ended up being exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, and, uh, and it was so fun to be able to talk about, um, prejudice and discrimination without offending anybody, you know, because, um, very controversial topics, especially in the oh, 1980s. Yes. Well, and, and, the, and the beauty of it is that we got so many awards, not only Emmys, but we got awards from virtually every minority community in the United States. Um, the, uh, uh, we, we, we got the, the Asian American community, the Hispanic American community, the L LGBTQ community. Uh, everybody thought it was about them as indeed it was, you know, and, um, uh, and it was so much fun to be able to play that and and put it up and right in people's faces, but uh, but be able to do it in a way that was acceptable on uh, American television. Do you feel that um, alienation spurned societal change on those topics? I think it did in in many ways because it got people talking, yeah. uh, and and I think that's part of the reason it was so successful with the critics because they saw okay, that we were doing a buddy cop show and there were some quirky aspects and, and humorous aspects to it. They drink sour milk and they, you know, get drunk and, uh, and uh, they have two hearts and they're stronger than we are. And, you know, little things like that, that, that made for conflict. And, and also uh, the, uh, the idea that the human cop had had his previous partner killed by a slag, as the newcomers were impolitely called. Uh, and now he's stuck with a slag. And so we got to do, do all of that 
interracial stuff only on an interspecial basis. And that was uh, the line of in the heat of the night with Sidney Potier, right? His his new cop partner was not a racist, but he had prejudices against black people because well, his partner was know. killed by a black man. The, that's that's it. And the in the original movie, we, we we picked up. I picked up on what had been done in the original movie, and then uh, and then carried it forward from there. Uh, and in the heat of the night, uh, of course, Poitier uh, was not partnered with uh, Rod Steiger. He was uh, uh, thrust into him. What you're in a heap of trouble, boy. What do they call you back in Philadelphia, boy? Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, uh, the uh, it's funny because in in another earlier lifetime <clears throat> in the 1960s when I was. Uh, I, I had been a uh, producer on the Mike Douglas show, which was in the late 60s, early 70s, the original daytime 90 minute talk music variety show that uh, I was invited to join as a producer. I'd been producing and directing in New York. And I did. I said, no, I want to go to California and make movies. And they said, look, just go over and talk to this young guy who's taking over the show as executive producer. <clears throat> I think you might like him. And so I went over and I met with Roger Ailes, who was the young executive producer on the Mike Douglas show, not the Roger Ailes that you know, uh, who turned into Fox and turned into sort of Harvey Weinstein uh, and all of lots of other uh, uncomfortable things. Yeah. Uh, but Roger was Roger was a very bright guy, and I joined the Douglas show and uh, as a as a producer, and I was there for about uh, a year and just about ready to leave to um, uh, come to Hollywood and make my stab when um, when Roger uh, uh, Richard Nixon came to the show to promote himself. Everybody who came to the Mike Douglas show was pushing something. And uh, Roger grabbed Nixon and said, I can make you president. I can get you elected. And uh, and Nixon said, well, how can you do that? Roger? <laughs> and, uh, and Roger said, because you need a media advisor. And Roger said, what's a media advisor? It was a name that Roger made up, you know. And anyway, Nixon hired him. Roger went off with Nixon. Roger told Westinghouse, I should take over the Mike Douglas show as the executive producer. I was 25 years old. And by then, it was the, the, the only still major talk show in the country. It was 180 markets we were in. And at one point, I had uh, Sammy Davis on. Uh, and I brought out, uh, to surprise him, Sidney Poitier. And uh, and then they were they got to talking about in the heat of the night. It was the year that heat of the night came out. And uh, and he said, yo, you were in that with the, that, that, uh, Rod Steiger. Interesting guy. And uh, and Sydney said, yeah. And we said, well, guess what, Sydney? You surprised Sammy. Now, look who's coming through the door and out walk Rod Steiger. And so I had the two of them uh, on the show uh, doing uh, all kinds of funny stuff and audience questions and and uh, it was a one-on-one -on -one connection and uh, and I loved that movie and I, I remember looking at it in downtown Philadelphia where the audience was predominantly black and it was one of the most thrilling experiences I'd ever had in a movie theater was listening to that audience reacting to Sidney Poitier slapping a white man <laughs> and <laughs> And walking away from it in the South, you know, so it was, uh, uh, anyway, long story, but uh, uh, some fun connections there. There's a scene in Alien Nation, the first episode, <clears throat> where our our human cop is defending, uh, you know, that, that, that mother and the kid, the alien mother <laughs> and the kid, where he starts pointing to people being like, why don't we put a brand of number on their arm or put them in. That's right. That little, little, little white, little man. pointy stars. Then they're yeah. easy to justify, he, you know, they... man says, why don't we put them in chains? He points to a Jew said, why don't we put a star on them? He points to a, a an Asian person and says something racist as well. well let's let's go hang us yeah, that's let's go so much. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, that, that's my favorite. You've, Chris, you've hit my favorite scene in the whole movie. Uh, because, the whole show. The whole show. Yeah, well, the whole, well there's, there's, a, there's a follow up, though, to it, too. And, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to have a line of people all lined up, armed. And, 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 and just real quick, if, if that had happened today, the Internet would rip that, that show apart. But the other half of the Internet would praise it to being like he's 100 percent right. Well, like, yeah, how I, dare you point out a black man in chains? And how dare you point out a Jew having a having a number written on them? That's offensive. You can't say that. You know, I'd be like, no, the cop. They're they're pointing out the hypocrisy of people who have dealt with race, is racist issues being racist. Well, that's There's nothing that, wrong with it. 
Shut well, the f up. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. And what I wanted was a Sorry, line <laughs> where there was where there was a black person, an Asian person, a Hispanic person, a, a Native American, a white guy, you know, and, and they're all got their arms interlinked, saying, "We don't want her kind here." Yeah, and, you know, and. Uh, but the fun part of it was to have to take the human cop who was a bigot and who had uh, had his partner killed by a slag and have him be the one that stands up for the little girl because that's the right thing to do. But then in the next scene after the scene at the school is uh, Matt Sykes coming home to his apartment uh, where a, a shapely young woman is moving in across the hall and then he realizes, oh, my God, it's one of them. Yeah. And he says, why, why in my building? <laughs> you know, so I wanted to, to uh, highlight both sides of that and uh, uh, and show that uh, that even as a racist bigot, as a cop and as a someone that's supposed to be upholding the law, he was a big enough human being and with a big enough heart to stand up and uh, and, and defend uh, little little Lauren. And that was Kathy, right? That's Terry Trees' character. That's that's Terry Trees. Oh my God, one. she was so hot on that show. Oh, oh my God. she was <laughs> the sexiest, the sexiest, <laughs> so the well. sexiest sweat, the sexiest sweatshirt that has ever been on television. Was I mean. It's it, 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 the alluring with the spots all over the body and stuff like that when, you know, like she's like partially nude or or like in some kind of some kind of evening gown or whatever, because there's a couple scenes where you get to see her and Susan right. with the makeup on, not right. dressed, but in a sexy evening gown or in lingerie or something like that. And you see the spots all over. them. That's just erotic, sexy sci fi ness or whatever, not anything right. to be disgusted by, you know what no, I mean? And, and in the and an enormous amount of time in the makeup room. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and uh, that was, it's funny. I was uh, earlier today, I was talking to my pal, Eric Pierpoint, who played the lead. And last night I was uh, at a play that had been directed by um, uh, Jeff Marcus, who played Albert, uh, the janitor for me, <clears throat> which was also a funny story. That was I, a great I, character too. Thank you. I, well, it's funny because I had, I had met Jeff in 1981 when I did a movie called Senior Trip for CBS. Uh, and uh, Jeff was only 21 years old and uh, he was part of, it was sort of like American Graffiti goes to New York for their senior trip, you know. And, uh, and Jeff played a, a troubled young man struggling with his sexual identity and, and all of that. And we got to be great pals and my the wife Susie and I sort of adopted him as, as well. And um, and when uh, when uh, Alien Nation came along uh, and they bought the pilot from me and I started thinking about who did I want for casting, uh, the first th thought that I had was uh, Eric, because he had done a, a brilliant job for me in a very short lived series called uh, called uh, Hot Pursuit uh, back in 1884 after V. Uh, but a tremendous actor and with so many colors and, and uh, everything that he exhibited on the on the Alienation series. But Eric also had the Zen factor to be able to sit in a makeup chair for an hour and a half every day for yeah. nine months. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, spend another 45 minutes having the makeup taken off, not go bonkers. And uh, and and so Eric came on board. It's funny. I sent him the script. And he said, oh, well, I really like it. I think I, I think I could do a really great job with a human cop. And I, I said, no, no, no. You're the other guy. I said, oh, let me go back and look at that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but he jumped on. And I mean, he, he was fabulous. And I called Jeff at the same time. Right after I called Eric, Jeff was my second call. And I said, hey, I got a part for you if you want it. He was doing theater in Florida at the time. And I, he said, is it a troubled young guy struggling with internal? I said, well, actually, Jeff, it's a, a mentally challenged alien janitor. He said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then he came in and absolutely made the role of Albert, you know, come to oh, life. And, yes, uh, he did. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad to hear that you were actually involved in the casting as well because oh. the actors like they made those roles and you know you you talked about the zenness of Eric Pierpoint and that comes through because to deal with the constant racism the constant intolerance you must be calm because if you're not calm then you're this angry you know and, and you know in in a 
our human terms would be like the angry black man or something like well, that. Well, that's that's what Buck was. But you know, uh, the, the the son of yeah. uh, Michelle Michelle Scarabelli and Eric Pierpoint was uh, was Sean Six, and that's what I wrote into into Sean. Sean hated humans more than humans hated him, and we always called him the alien without a cause. You know, and uh, <laughs> he he was indeed the troubled young man who was. Striking out in all the wrong directions, getting hooked up with with uh, uh, bad street gangs and and that sort of stuff. Didn't want to speak English. Always wanted to speak in Tinktonese, which was the language that my daughter Julie created for for the series. Uh, and it really was a language. I mean, we had a whole dictionary by the time we finished. Um, and uh, and 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 Sean, you know, was you know, he was angry, and so we wanted to get that aspect of it too—the angry, the angry black, the angry Asian, the angry any kind of minority against people who look down on him, you know. So it's yeah. uh, uh, it was a fun thing. It was a great spectrum of uh, of characters for us to to bring together. And uh, and yeah, I did all the casting uh, myself. As a matter of fact, if you go online um, and and uh, search for uh, Alien Nation, a family gathering, there is a uh, a video that was one of the special features on the DVD movie set that we did of the later movie of the later movies. You can also see the later movies online too. Oh, which uh, are really hard to find. So definitely watch them online. Uh, they are, but they are they are on YouTube. Yeah, they're on they're on they're on the internet streaming. I think they're on Prime as well. Yeah, and uh, but there's the the family gathering happened. Uh, golly, I guess in the early 2000s because we used to we we hung together even after the show went off. Every summer, Susie and I would have a barbecue Aww. and we'd have our Alien Nation family over and uh, uh, and I was. I was just listening to them go on and on about the memories and the funny things and so many stuff. And finally, I, uh, as we were putting together that DVD movie set, I, uh, I said, would you guys just come over and sit in my living room and, uh, and let me turn some cameras on you? And we did. They did that. And Dave Strohmeyer, my brilliant uh, editor pal, uh, wove it all together into a half hour piece. And it's on, uh, on, on YouTube, as I said. And if you just look for a family gathering, you'll find it. And that will give you a sense of what it was like on the set because we love the show. We all love the show. Everybody loved working together. There were no jerks, uh, and uh, and and every there was no Hollywood horse shit. You can bloop that out if you like. No. Uh, and, uh, and, well, well, I'm I'm a big uh, Mike Nichols, great great director. Uh, always had a sign in his office that said no assholes. Yeah. And, you know, and I love that uh, philosophy and, and it includes myself, incidentally, I have to not be one either. Uh, and and that's what the show was like. And so we had so many laughs. We were laughing all the time while we did the series. But at the same time, we loved the fact that we were talking about something that was substantive, that really had a, a depth and, uh, uh, and a real social impact and importance to it and bless the critics heart they always picked up on that and literally uh for seven years we never got a, anything but a glowing review from any of the reviewers it was really rewarding which well, is surprising about that uh, that the show is so canceled um, <laughs> but positive it was like hearing a it was like hearing a young friend had gotten hit in an automobile accident and was killed because we had already written a half a dozen scripts for the upcoming season. Well, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you about real quick, Ken, because we're actually at a, unfortunately at a time limit with the zoom call, but okay. we're going to cover the entire length of the show plus the movies. So I was wondering if you could come back on when we start the movies to talk about what season two was going to be like. Sure. And well, we also, season, yeah. but also we also have a couple books uh, that you should you, that you should plug as well that you sent me uh, digital copies of that I wanted you uh, to uh, mention too. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll mention and if it ever makes the video, you'll see it. This just came out, which is the Blu-ray edition of the Six Million Dollar Man. Wow. Oh wait, there's more. They also just did the Blu-ray edition of uh, here it comes. Bionic, Bionic Woman. Woman. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and as I mentioned, the, uh, there's a Blu-ray coming up. There's already a UK version of Short Circuit 2 uh, released in the UK, but there's a Blu-ray edition that is now being put together okay, uh, by, uh, by Sony, and that'll be coming out shortly. We, and, we, we uh, need one of uh, your Dracula show, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it, 
I can't do that, but I can then for the video, we'll see it on video. This is the novel that's coming out on November 1st. It's called Holmes Coming, as in Sherlock Holmes Coming. <laughs> and, uh, and it's about the original Sherlock Holmes, uh, or the man that the world came to know as Sherlock Holmes, whose name really was not Sherlock at all, uh, reappearing suddenly in uh, 2022 in contemporary San Francisco, uh, still the same eccentric egocentric cocaine addicted genius but now he's a hundred years out of sync so sometimes his still brilliant deductions are just a little skewed and uh and not always safe so it's <laughs> so like, it's, like uh, captain america yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a fun book and uh, uh we're just actually uh, on tuesday we start recording the audio book version oh. of it so it'll be out in uh, in hardcover and in audio uh on the first of november but the real coming. the real thing is everyone wants to know when is there going to be a blu-ray special collector's edition of steel <laughs> <laughs> there is a blu-ray uh edition of steel but there's no collector's uh, edition with like shack on a commentary with you or something <laughs> yeah i know i don't know i can't i uh, can't imagine when that's going to happen but uh, Probably not. i've seen i've seen shack all you have to do to see shack is turn on the tv yeah. My God, he's in every commercial in the world right now. But uh, he was a wonderful guy and a dear friend uh, to work with. And we had a great time together. Well, Ken, why don't you give away where people can find you on, on, on the uh, interwebs? And uh, again, we will definitely have you back on for the, the miniseries, uh, the, 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 the films. Uh, yeah, after sure. we're done with the show and then we can talk about season two or what was supposed to be. Cool. Okay, that's great. No, well, it's uh, you can find me at uh, just kennethjohnson.us. Kenneth Johnson, all one word, dot .us. That's my website. And I'm also on Facebook as Kenneth Johnson Author, A-U-T-H-O-R. Uh, and you'll find stuff there. And, uh, and the book, uh, Holmes Coming, is already on Amazon uh, for pre-sale. Uh, so anybody interested can uh, go to Amazon and just type it in and bingo, it'll come up. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, and definitely gonna have you back on when we start the mini, the uh, the the mini films, and the uh, and we'll talk about season two. And you can also talk about like any merchandise too, which will be great because we'll save all that stuff <laughs> at the end of the uh, end of the run of the show. Because I know there's a bunch of books and comic books as well that I I've, I've got a few of myself. Oh my God, a real fan. That's great. <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I, it was as I said, uh, uh, it was my my favorite show to work on because we just had so much fun all the time. And this has been fun being able to talk to you, AstraZeneca. Thank you, and to uh, uh, to you, Chris. It's uh, uh, it's it's you know it's really a pleasure. And um, and thanks so much. And I'll be here when you want to talk some more. Mm -hmm.